This is the Authentic Entrepreneurs Podcast with your host, Nick Foley and Stu Saunders. Here we go. Here we go. This is what I got to say. Hi, folks. It's uh, Nick Foley from the Authentic Entrepreneurs. Uh, we're continuing here with our summer series. Uh, big shout out to producer extraordinaire Mikey, who is uh, at uh, home doing these these calls with me. Uh, Stuart is not here again as he is uh, away at uh, YLCC doing his thing with the um, youth leadership camps in uh, beautiful Aurelia in Canada. If you're listening from outside of Canada, it's in beautiful Aurelia in Ontario. Uh, today we're going to circle back and, and connect with one of our, with our first guests that we had on, uh, Kate O'Neill. Kate O'Neill uh, wrote a great book, a uh, new book called The Tech Humorist, and uh, it's in stores now and it's available. It's a fantastic read. Uh, I would suggest that you do it. But uh, Kate was a fantastic interviewer or interviewee. Uh, she was. She came out of the wealth of knowledge and and basically blew the minds off of me and uh, me and Stewie's. Uh, uh, had, we, we just sat there and just like, wow, this 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 woman knows a lot of stuff. So uh, we were really excited about having Kate on. She's a fantastic guest, a fantastic individual, even better individual. Um, and she, she's one heck of a human. I've met Kate on a few occasions, and um, she's just uh, just a joy to be around. So humble, so smart, and uh, and it's just always, always able or always eager to, to learn and to, to share her knowledge with with people, and and great to have conversations with her. So, my folks, I will uh, I will close this down as I'm rambling here. But uh, again, Kate O'Neill, uh, she is the author of the Tech Humorist. It's our first interview that we did with um, the Authentic Entrepreneurs. It's, we're a little raw, but um, and we still are, I guess. We've only done you know 40 some odd episodes. We're learning as we go. But uh, Kate, Kate O'Neill, from the tech, or who wrote Tech Humorist, is going to come at you with a wealth of knowledge with some really interesting insights on, on technology, 21st century business, and how technology and business, uh, you know, kind of merge together. So it was, uh, it was great to interview Kate. She, she brightens your day. She's got a great energy, and uh, like I said, is a fantastic person. So again, it's uh, Nick Foley, one half of the Authentic Entrepreneurs. Stuart will be back soon uh, when camp ends, and we'll be back in our chairs doing a regular thing. We've got some uh, great episodes in season two. A little bit of con- com- a little bit confrontational. We've got some good insight. We've got some um, we've got some some great guests, and we're coming at you with a whole new uh, baggage, as they say. So again, I'm I'm Nick Foley. Stu Saunders is away. Keep being authentic. And oh, and by the way, like us wherever you get podcasts. So if you think of a platform that you can hear a podcast, type in the Authentic Entrepreneurs, and likely we will be there. And if we're not, well, figure it out. I'm Nick Foley, and keep being authentic. This is what I got to say. Welcome to our first ever themed tech episode of the Authentic Entrepreneurs. 21st century themed tech episode. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that we need to talk about. Entrepreneurship is one of the, obviously, the largest um, growing fields for entrepreneurship is in the tech world, tech sector. Um, technology is changing ridiculously fast. Um, there are more options and more things. And it's hard to understand. It's hard to really get your head around um, what it is. People are scared of technology. Some people love technology. The argument of AI, uh, robotics, um, you know, augmented uh, reality, um, uh, holographic stuff. There's so much going on. Um, so many, everyone's got an app they want to sell. Um, and even though you and I know a lot, we actually don't know everything. And I think that's what makes, you know, makes this authentic show is that we don't know everything. And yeah, we're not we're gonna willing sit here, to say that we don't know. Yeah, and I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I know all the answers to tech. We know a little bit, you know, just from the ex- our work and experience. But... And trial and error. And trial and Lots of trial and error. But I'll say this. I am excited about today's guest. Yeah, our first ever guest um, who is uh, just an amazing human being. Her name is Kate O'Neill. And um, there she is. There's Kate O'Neill with her big awesome smile. Um, Kate is, um, she is a, she's like an epic superstar tech humanist. Tech guru, if you will. Yeah. So she, her job is, you know, she's got a number of books out tech there. Tech humanist. Nicely done. I yeah. saw what you did there. Tech humanist. And this is her most, uh, her most recent book, which is, uh, tech, well, it's right there. Tech humanist. And it is all about bringing humanity and technology, I believe, kind of together. Like yeah. keeping the, hu- the human piece of, of, uh, the humanity in technology. Yeah. Would you say that's what? Yeah, absolutely. It's a fantastic book. Uh, Kate is a uh, 
author of uh, several bestsellers. Yeah. And this is her newest, uh, her newest, her newest venture, Tech Humanist. And and on this episode, we we really lean into it. Yeah. And she's got a great background story. Uh, she was the Tech Entrepreneur of the Year in 2012. She was right there at the beginning of Netflix. Yeah. Uh, she worked at Netflix, and there was less than a hundred people there. Uh, I mean, she were she worked right side by side with Reed, uh, Reed Hastings. Reed Hastings. Yeah. I mean, she was there, and and so she has seen growth and change in technology, and and I'm I'm really excited. So um, we're going to uh, go. I think we're going to kind of cut, and then uh, we're going to go right to our interview. Absolutely. So enjoy our varying long, not too long, but great. First, full of jam-packed with information. This is an episode you're not going to want to miss. You're really going to want to leave. And into. if you want to see what Kate is, she's on. We have her uh, Skype, so she'll be watching on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you have a chance to, to tune into um, to, to YouTube, YouTube uh, the authentic entrepreneurs on YouTube. Subscribe, watch, and enjoy our conversation with Kate O'Neill. All right, so uh, we are excited today on the Authentic Entrepreneurs uh, that we have one of the uh, the coolest human beings who has one of the coolest jobs, at least the coolest job description, uh, Kate O'Neill. And Kate is an expert in integrated experience, strategy, and human-centric digital transformation. Wow. Nick, that, that I was saying earlier, that's the first time I've heard those words all put together in one sentence, and it is amazing. Like that <laughs> business card must your business card must be huge, Kate. Yeah, that's like an index card. <laughs> yeah, and and you just uh, you just launched now. I should say in 2012. Just I know it's going back a few years, but I think it's kind of cool. Uh, you were the Tech Entrepreneur of the Year, um, yeah. which is I think just the coolest thing ever. Um, and I think you've had an opportunity to see technology really. Um, effect uh, to um, you know, how much it's changed the entrepreneurial journey uh, for so many people. And I'm sure it's changing faster than it's ever changed before. Um, so uh, I, I just, I, I want to get into some things with you, but I'm going to let Nick talk. I just love that, that title of what you do. It's so cool. <laughs> it is an oppressive title. Um, it's only second to, Kate, so you're going to talk in one second. It's, it's, sorry, it's only second to, years ago I was watching the Olympics. And uh, they were bringing out the Olympic flag. It was the Vancouver Olympics, and they were bringing out the Olympic flag. And there, you know, there's eight people carrying it as they slowly go across the the, the field. And it has all their, they're showing the the headshots. Everybody, and it's like Steve Johnson, former five-time Olympian, Mary Smith, the former president of this. And then it got to this one woman, and it was like Jane Danson. I'm not making this up. Her title was 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 champion of the earth. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's a pretty impressive title too. I would and say. I was like, "How do you get that job? Is that job on Indeed? Like, yeah, how yeah. are you going to find? And what's the, and what qualifications do you need for champion of the earth? I think you just need to say that you are that, and that's it, right? That's what amazing. Yeah, what's the career path there? Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Like, what was the prerequisite? Have you topped out? Like, is that it? Can you? <laughs> Go any higher than that, champion. Of I don't the like that. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Are they? Do they run the planet? We didn't even know about it. Perhaps. Anyway. Perhaps. Um, so you, but you're an integrated experience strategy and human-centric digital transformations. Nick, let's talk. I think that's even more Kate. impressive. Yes, I think that's even more impressive than the champion of the earth. <laughs> that's my opinion, Kate. That's my opinion. But um, let's congratulations on, on all your amazing accomplishments in entrepreneurial world. Uh, you just have a new book out, uh, Tech Humanist: Helping Humanity Pre Prepare for More Technology. Um, can you talk a little bit about that book? It's a very impressive, uh, very impressive book with all your books are. I haven't got through them all, I have to say, but uh, Tech Humanist, I'm looking forward to le really leaning into. Can you, can you tell our audience a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. It's, uh, so it's uh, how, um, how you can help make technology better for business and better for humans. That's the subtitle. Uh, so it, it's, it's meant to be uh, written for largely, I think, an executive audience. And the, and the idea is I think a lot of CEOs and executives are faced with the conundrum of, of digital transformation and, and how to make their business more digitized and automated and, and sort of ready for this sort of tech-driven future. While at the same time, I think we need to recognize that the more we do that, the more we sort of remove the humanity from a lot of customer experiences and uh, the types of interactions that we have in the world. So uh, I was hoping to bridge that gap. And, and the, the work I've been doing for the last few years has been about finding the both and in, in that equation. You know, how can, how can business be more successful through automation and digitization? Because those are table stakes that needs to happen. And also how can we create more meaningful human experiences 
given that level of automation and artificial intelligence and all the other emerging technologies. And, and from that book, though, like from that mindset, that's fantastic. How, how would you like what, are, what for our listeners here listening to it that, that haven't picked up the book yet or maybe they have? Um, like, how could we do that? How could we get that more of that, that, that human connection, that human experience through, um, you know, through, through the technology, through the automation and things like that? What are, what are some, some takeaways that, that you found in the research and, and then in your, your experience with it? So the, the, the thing is you, you have to get all the way back to this sort of understanding of purpose in the, in the company. And the, the purpose derives everything else in the company and, and even the digital transformation. So the reason why purpose is such an important construct in this is that uh, I, I start with the, the premise that, uh, that humans crave meaning. And it's what makes us different from other animals. It makes, makes us different from computers and machines. It's what really kind of drives and characterizes us, I would say, uh, as more than, you know, kind of creativity or empathy or a lot of the other things that people often associate with the human condition. I think it's about meaning and we crave it and we seek it and we're compelled by it. So if we accept that as a premise, then purpose, I think, is the shape that meaning takes in business. It is the, the way that, you know, business goes forward and says, this is what we're about. This is what we, what matters This is what we're trying to do. And we're trying to do it at scale. So when you make that claim and when you, and you understand that as a business, then you can define, you know, your sort of brand characteristics around that. You can let that define culture. You can let that define operations and it can define the data model that you use to measure the success of the company. And it can define, what technology you deploy to accelerate and amplify that purpose. Now you said that you're working this, the, the book is more geared towards um, executives, large organizations. Um, but I, is it, is it not true that when you're starting, you, I'm not, is it, is it true? Is it not true? Is it true that when you're starting a new business, when you're an entrepreneur starting a new business, wouldn't you want to start with that end in mind right from the beginning? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's a really important mindset to uh, to begin a business by understanding what it is you're trying to do, and uh, that's so the the purpose articulation is uh, a sort of three to five word distillation of what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to do at scale. So I think that's a really useful exercise for any business leader, whether you are just starting out as a business, you know, whether you're you know kind of uh, a solopreneur or uh, uh, you know, on your Series A, or you're scaling a company to you know, hundreds of employees or whatever the situation might be. So uh, having an understanding of that is, is really helpful. I, I, I'd say yeah. you know, that's a pretty logical, sound statement, right? Right, so I, my, I guess why I, I just wanted to like, I think it's so relevant in regardless of the size of your, if you're in business, it's True. just so relevant. True. yeah, fair enough. Um, and and I, what, like, you're in, you're in the, the thick of, of technology like what is what is the, what are the trends right now? Like what's happening in technology and in business in North America? Like what are you seeing so are the big trends, the big changes? The big thing is is uh, I think automation right now. It, it's it's so important that that companies are are having this conversation about how they're going to increase efficiencies, you know, through automation. But you know the the tech humanist premise is you don't necessarily just want to increase efficiencies. You want to be making sure that you're making your business more accelerated and amplified relative to its purpose. And right. that those efficiencies are not necessarily going to make any sense if you only accelerate along lines that are profit centric and not to do with humans who are ultimately still going to have something to do with the business, whether they're consumers or employees or whatever. So a lot of, of um, Job replacement, displacement, and augmentation is happening through automation right now, through robotic process automation and, and uh, other types of automation, uh, and and it's just uh, it's such an important part of that conversation, I think, to to really understand how that affects humanity on on many levels, yeah, you I, know, on all the all the constituencies of humanity. There, there's there's two schools of thought, right? I think with entrepreneurship, sorry, not entrepreneurship, with technology and business, it is you know you've got the uh, the Elon Musk side of it who says AI is terrifying and we shouldn't have anything to do with it. We should like really control it. And then you've got the Zuckerberg, like, let's just do everything AI. Let's just make it all. And where, where do you sit in that world? Like, where do you, where, what, what are your thoughts on where we're sitting right now? So I acknowledge both of those perspectives in Tech Humanist that, that there is kind of this divide and, and depending on 
which uh, thought leader you sort of subscribe to, you'll get a different take on that. But I think in either case, uh, you know, you, it's probably an exaggeration in either case, right? Like it's not perfectly okay and we should just run toward it. And also it's not going to destroy humanity as we know it, probably. So the, <laughs> so the robots aren't... The, the, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. The robots aren't coming to take over? Well, I mean, I think robots are coming and they're going to take some work, but I don't think that's necessarily going to mean that we don't have jobs or that we don't have work to do. And even if it ultimately does, you know, many years down the road, I think we're going to be the creative species we have always been and figure out some way to reinvent around that. Where, where do you, so you, you're, it's interesting because you, you said it's somewhere in the middle. What do you, like, based on your experience, based on your journey as a, as a tech entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneur, where, where are you, where are your thoughts with, with where we are and when technology now, like personally, like how did, that does that come out with when you're doing your talks and when you're, you're, uh, you know, artic articulating that in your books and all your works. So the, the, this comes back again to this, the premise of tech humanist is that I think it's a very important uh, acknowledgement that we need to make that the reason we have emerging technologies accelerating and why we're, you know, kind of moving fast into a more tech driven future is because of business and business drivers. So largely it's, you know, kind of business profit minded uh, accelerators that are pushing technology forward. So I think that the, the bigger concern isn't technology itself or robots or AI, it's how to make sure that business has done its due diligence, that business has had the soul searching and the, recon, the sort of reconciling it needs to do with purpose and humanity and, and what business actually exists to do before it accelerates itself using all of these kind of machines and, and robotics and, and automation. So the, the, the purpose of the book really is to, to force that conversation and, and make it clear that that actually helps business be more successful. Like the more you articulate purpose, the more you're able to, to rally your, your human resources al along those lines. And also it's what makes machines function better too. The more you can talk about purpose in terms of clarity and succinct instructions, the more you're able to get machines to function the way you need them to. So it's actually the thing that brings humans and machines together is this understanding of purpose. Love going back to that. So you're not, you're not scared. I'm more like I, I'm saying I'm scared of business. I'm scared of, of what happens if, uh, if somebody, if, if the drivers behind um, Silicon Valley and Wall Street and all of the other kind of personifications of big business uh, continue to add AI and robots to their sort of arsenal, so to speak, um, to grow and scale in ways that, that don't leave room for meaningful human experiences. Right. So I think the thing is when we talk about automation, we often talk about automating meaningless things or menial tasks because the, the premise is it'll leave room for humans to perform higher order tasks and that will we'll have meaningless things automated and that'll make it nice and easy. But I think if you take that idea to scale and allow the idea that everything is more or less everything is going to become automated, then we quickly find ourselves in a situation where what's automated is meaningless, not meaningful. Mm, and right. so all of our interactions are meaningless. And I think it's far more important that we put some thought now into balancing that. I think it's really useful to think about automating meaningless and menial tasks because it does free us up to do higher order things. And also, I think we need to think about how to inject some level of nuance and empathy and meaning into the types of interactions that we're automating and making sure that those, those types of things are going to have context awareness and some sort of, um, sort of construct that, that allows us to feel our humanity uh, as we're interacting with machines. So great. Uh, on, on the realm of automation, what are, what are some things you're seeing or, or you're, you're, you're hearing about that's being automated that you think is really taking out the human element of things that are just like, oh, hold on, we should pump the brakes on perhaps maybe automating that to get out that kind of, you know, interaction, interacting uh, experience between, you know, us as a, a consumer, a human and, and the human contact. What, what are some of the things like that you're seeing as far as that going that's leaning towards being automated? Well, I, I see a lot of things being automated that that are um, 
I think they seem weird now to, to do um, some basic functions through chatbots uh, and, and like changing your password and getting help with changing your password through chatbots, but they won't seem weird. They'll seem very efficient when they're done very well and moved into you know kind of a, a more normalized future. I think the issue is more around how the... Um, how the automation sort of sits in a human experience. Like my favorite example of this is, is um, Amazon Go, you know, the, the uh, retail store environment right. that is a cashierless environment. Um, and Amazon launched one at the beginning of this year in Seattle and just launched one in California. They've also said they're going to scale to about 3,000 of these stores by 2021. So we're going to see a lot of this taking place. Um, but the issue is that when you go to use the, the store, there's an app, the Amazon Go app, and uh, as you open it for the first time, there's an onboarding that talks you through how to actually use it. And it says, um, since you get charged for things you take off the shelf, that you should not take things off the shelf for other people. Oh. And so I don't know about you, but I get asked to help people in grocery stores all wow. the time. All the time, and, yeah. Right. So clearly you can imagine this scenario <clears throat> down the road where we've sort of unlearned helping each other because we don't want to get charged stores because we don't want to get charged for their, the other people's things. But how long before, I mean, I think that's very clearly the future of retail. So how long before we're not helping each other in any stores? And really, if you think about it, how long would it be before we're conditioned just not to help each other at all? So wow. that's the kind of, that's the premise I think is really worth thinking through the nuances of. And, and I know that sounds a little hyperbolic, but I think it's important to consider that, that the way that I, I frame that is experience like that, that gets taken to scale does shape culture because experience at scale is culture. It's culture. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder though, is there, is there a point where you, if you automate everything or m many more things, isn't there like. A, a fear of what do people do who are just want jobs? Do you know what I mean? Like I think of my son who worked at McDonald's and they've installed these massive boards in McDonald's where you walk into the store and you just press the buttons and your food just comes. You don't have to interact with anybody. Um, it's like a giant iPad and you just, the food comes out and they've reduced their staff because they don't need to have this interaction as much. And I wonder is it, if we automate everything, what do people do? So I think there are jobs that are uh, going to be created around these emerging technologies that, uh, that we that don't can't necessarily yet. anticipate as well yet. So uh, in, in Tech Humanist, I, I point out the possibility of things like a, a nuance engineer, you know, someone who's working around AI and helping to understand things like uh, there's this kind of classic example of the image recognition problem of uh, Chihuahua puppies and blueberry muffins <laughs> and to uh, a machine, those actually look like the same thing. Uh, so it's kind of a hilarious example to see visually, but those are the types of things that humans do really well at deciphering and machines you know, don't necessarily have right. the same level of nuance. So I think they're, and Cognizant uh, just came out with um, a, another, it's a, a second edition of a report on jobs of the future. So 21 jobs of the future, they did 21 more jobs of the future. And they're proposing, you know, work that sits around automation and AI as well. So I think we have at least another stage or two of working, you know, kind of coexisting with AI and with machines in, in much tighter ways than we've anticipated before that will create new types of jobs before we see jobs go away. I mean, certain jobs will go away, well, but just... there are going to be new jobs opening up. I'm just scared that, you know, like there's just no jobs for like kids, like my son who works at McDonald's. Like, what's he going to do? Like, you, it's just such a great job to start off working at McDonald's. And then I just, it's a silly idea, but I think it's, it's a small question on a, on a grander problem, potentially. Yeah. And I do think that there, that part of what we're talking about does include entry level types of jobs. It, it's all just kind of a, a reshaping of our understanding of what humans do in the workforce. Yeah. And, and uh, we have to be creative about it. But that, I think part of being creative about it is recognizing that there needs to be this kind of reckon, reckoning uh, that business needs to do with creating responsible roles for humanity. Right. So I, I have two, two questions quickly. Um, one is entrepreneurship is now the hippest thing in the world, right? People just love being, it's such a cool thing to be an entrepreneur. It's like back in when I went to high school in the 80s, you wanted to be a rock star and now everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Like this is, 
the kids I meet just want to be entrepreneurs. It's cool. Is it hipper than Canada? I mean, really? It's <laughs> is it is entrepreneurship hipper than Canada? Yeah. Uh, no, nothing is nothing. The world needs more Canada. <laughs> um, but uh, there was a well, yeah, yeah, I forgot my question. Um, oh no, I'm no, sorry. it's okay. Um, so uh, so as if you're entrepreneurship, you're starting out. What are the best practices for a, someone who wants to start a business? Like, what do you think the best practices are as you build out your your technology, your your twenty first century entrepreneurship, social media, yeah. your connection on the internet? Like, what is what is a new entrepreneur? What what should they be excited for, and what should they be cautious of? Yeah, I think uh, the the whole agile approach to understanding what you are offering and creating a close fit with your market is is going to be um, just far more important than even than it ever has been. You know, so we've always talked about, or we have for a while now talked about minimum viable product and uh, agility and kind of iterating through market fit. But um, but the, the concept of alignment is a really important one, and it's important as companies scale as well. But starting out and understanding, you know, what it is that you are offering into the marketplace, you know, kind of really having a sense of that, and then also who benefits from that, who's going to be the most natural fit for for the offering that you're making, and trying to find that that meaningful connection, that that sense of alignment. I think that's the starting point, and then figuring out through all of your marketing channels, through your product development, through whatever uh, other parts of your operations you need to scale, how to to um, test the boundaries of that, and how to kind of amplify what's working while you know kind of constraining what isn't working. That's that's the way I think we're going to see this go. So you know, there's there's a lot of marketing channels to play with, uh, and I think it's just a matter of figuring out what what actually helps you accelerate that alignment toward the, the right audience. Um, my second question, you, you answered within that question, so thank you. <laughs> so we have, um, as we as we kind of wrap things up in a little bit here, okay, one of the questions that we, we kind of asked each other, and I'm, I'm really interested because you're, you're so, you have such an amazing mind for this and technology and, and, and just like if anybody, if you're ever in the same presence, one thing I was saying to you is that you have such amazing energy and you brought that when, you know, we were in the same, in, uh, same room in Toronto with that, the, with the speak and spill and it was just such, you know, just amazing positive energy. So one of the questions that I, that I have for you is, what were, and you what, have a great smile. <laughs> oh, thank you. What would, what I love is, your picture. What is one of the, uh, like, what would you want people to, um, you know, 10 years from now? What, what do you want people to, 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 to remember you as? And I mean, I know you'll still be in the middle of your career and, and, and that, but like in 10 years, we, we kind of asked each other that one of the things that, that Stu said he, want, he wanted to um, positively impact, you know, a generation of, of young people. And, and I, I know with my businesses, I want to leave a, a positive impact. I know we all want to leave a kind of a positive impact, but you're, you know, you're, you, you, someone might say you're a futurist, you have these great, amazing ideas and things of that nature. What would, you know, 10, 15 years, you're looking back at your career, what would you like to, to be like, you know what, this is where I, I excelled or, or what are your thoughts on, you know, where would you like to be in 10, 15 years? Kind of how would you remember yourself or how would people remember you as an individual and an entrepreneur? Well, it's, it's a great question and a, a really meaningful one. And for me, there's like two, two ways that I could think to answer that. One is uh, with my own purpose statement, my own kind of the purpose of my work is to create more meaningful human experiences at scale. So that's the work I'm doing through speaking and writing and, and getting in front of, of company leadership is, is all about trying to help them uh, make their business more successful while also creating more meaningful experiences in the process. And the second part of that, or the second answer to that is that um, the underlying premise, uh, or one of the underlying premises of tech humanist, tech humanist is that with all of the kind of additional capacity that we'll gain through automation and, and artificial intelligence and everything else that's kind of making the world uh, more efficient in some ways. I think that we have an ethical obligation to really think about creating the best futures for the most people. And uh, so I, I would really love to be remembered, I guess, or thought of as someone who's always championing that idea that we have such an important uh, amount of work to do to get you know the, the 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 benefits of the technology and the scale that we're building to actually pay off for humanity. Right. Well, in a positive way. That's um, a great answer. I my last my last question. I have two last questions, but um, uh, you were back. You were involved back at the beginning of Netflix. Yeah. 
Um, so you were right there at the beginning. Uh, how many people were there when you were working at Netflix? I was in the first hundred. I don't exactly where. Right. So yeah. So you were right there. Um, yeah. I mean, you think now. You look at the impact of Netflix and on the world, um, and they're one of the largest, one of the fastest growing uh, companies in the world in terms of revenues and what they're doing. Um, and they've completely revolutionized media, completely. Right. Um, Netflix caused Hulu, caused Amazon, all these different things of Prime, you know, to come out and, and do their own streaming services. They've single handed Not to mention Netflix and chill. Netflix and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they've also, uh, they completely brought down Blockbuster, who was a bajillion dollar yes. company, um, and they're destroying network television um, right. as we yes. speak. And I, I remember the, the other day I was listening to someone said, as long as, you know, Network TV will survive because sports, scheduled sports. And then I turned on my Prime uh, to watch Jack Ryan, great show. And uh, I saw that Prime has Thursday night football on oh. it now. So they have the NFL on Prime. And they're just going to stream it on Prime. So I, I, I see literally Netflix has completely changed the platform of media for the world. And you can make a show, instead of being in your market, it can be around the planet. The reason why I say that is because 10 years ago, that would not have been spoken of, mm -hmm. right? Like that didn't exist. Netflix was nothing. It was a, was it even around 10 years ago? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was there uh, nearly, I guess it's been 20, almost 20 years ago now. Is it 20 uh, years old, Netflix? To 2001, so. so. But that was when it was just a DVD program, right? DVD sales, the DVD rental? Yeah, that's right. So 2006, 2007 was when Roku slash streaming yeah. rolled out. So yes, you're right. In, in that sense, 10 years or so ago is so, what we're yeah. talking about. So they were, they were being crazy enough to do mail mailing DVD systems. But I'm just thinking to myself, like, I'm, my question to you is, what do you think is the next, with all your research, what's the next massive disruption that's going to happen next in technology? Because because Netflix just 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 you know it just well, they're shapers, right? They, they, they shape how we do everything. things now. Yeah. yeah, you know, we talk this. Uh, the iPhone changed everything. Mm -hmm. So what, like, what's the next big thing you think we're all going to be like? That was the Netflix ten years ago. I don't know what the well, the company or product, if it exists today, or even, yeah, or even the even the go big. Uh, but the technology, I'll tell you the one out of all the things that I have seen over the last X, however many years, um, there's only been two times in my life, in my career, I guess, that that I have been truly wowed by something. And one was in 1992 or three or whatever it was when I saw the graphical web for the first time. And it blew me away. And I was like, this is going to change the world. This is going to change everything. And that's why I, I built a website for the language laboratory that I was heading up at the time at the University of Illinois at Chicago, which turned out to be the first <laughs> departmental website that was built there. So it got noticed by Toshiba and, and I went out to work for them. So it was this long series of stuff that happened for that. But that, that moment of seeing the graphical web and going like, man, this is just transformative, that was huge. And then the only other time that's really happened was when I saw augmented reality. And I just saw, I thought, like, man, there's so many ways that this could change yeah. things. And we have wow. not seen it really fulfill that destiny yet. It's been around for a while. Wow. Um, but I just think about the, the, the ways that I see the world and interact with the world are kind of in, in almost like mental layers. And I'm, I'm imposing these kind of mental layers of meaning on things. And I can just imagine if we found ways of exposing layers of meaning in the way that humans interact with the world that's contextual and on demand and relative and relevant, I can't imagine what that could do for us and what that could do for our interactions with each other and the rest of the world. So I look forward to that. That's, uh, I remember uh, going to see Tony Robbins uh, this summer and he was talking about that they were building the first, he would be the first or one of the first completely artificial intelligent Tony Robbins. Oh. And they were <laughs> like filming. A hologram? Yeah, hologram. Okay. So they're doing all this work with him and they were creating this incredibly massive database of his voice and his answers and converse and everything. And you'd be able to literally, I could like have Tony sitting beside me and through this incredible library of what he's done, I could ask him, we could have a, an actual conversation with this hologram of Tony Robbins. And it was going to be like, he thought that was the next big thing was holographic interactions with human beings. 
I mean, certainly Star Wars has made us think that. So, or Star Trek, or one of the other. One know. of the stars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Where is that from? It's Star Trek. The holodeck. The holodeck. Yeah, the holodeck. Right. I'm I'm not a Trekkie. Actually, I am a Trekkie. Um, <laughs> My, I guess so. You're, do you have any more questions? Because I want to wrap up with one thing. Okay, so I'm. Yeah, I, I, we could do this all day. I mean, you're so interesting. You have such yeah, I just an want amazing. To know more. I, I don't even think of the augmented reality stuff. And I, I just so thank you so much for your time, Kate. Yes. that's that's the one thing I know Thanks you're. Having me on. Oh, you're such a busy person, and we really appreciate it. I, I'm, I'm curious. Two, two quick questions. You can at, like you can answer real quickly, and I'll and I'll let Stu wrap things up. But. Um, I'm a big believer in like mentors and, and things of that nature um, and people who have helped, you know, you know, help me get to be able to do the things. I, I ask questions of a lot of people, you know, yourself now and, 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 and of course, lots of people in my life. Who are some of the, so it's two questions. Uh, the first one is, who are some of your influencers? I mean, a lot of people go to you for answers with, with tech and, and all, kinds of, all kinds of things. I know that you, you know, you jet set all over this world to speak and, and keynote, but who are some of your you know, maybe early influencers, people that you really kind of looked at and, and, and were, you know, kind of, um, you know, learned from to as you started your career and maybe even now. So the truth is it's almost everyone. Like I, I feel like that's, um, if I have any kind of superpower, it's that I'm genuinely interested in people and I want to absorb what they're about and I want to, I want to really get them. So I think, I think throughout my life, it's just been almost everybody I've interacted with. I feel like I've learned something from, but, um, the, the one example that does tie back, I think Stu, into what you were talking about with, um, Netflix kind of changing the course of history in a sense of relative to media is that we were talking about the two sort of chapters of Netflix's history, uh, DVDs and, and streaming. And the thing that's relevant about the, the timing that we're talking about is that while I was there in 99, 2000, 2001, Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, was investing actively in R&D toward what we were then calling set-top boxes, which kind of became mm. Roku, which mm. really was the predecessor to streaming as we now know it. But that was during the height of the all-out bloody battle with Blockbuster, and he had the presence of mind and the foresight to be able to ha wage that war, so to speak. I hate those kind of metaphors, but you know it really was a fight, and and to be you know kind of present in the moment, you know, duking it out with Blockbuster while investing heavily into what was going to be the future. ten years down the road, the future for for the industry. So. I really have taken that to heart uh, out of all the people I've interacted with and worked for and worked with. Uh, that's really been one of the most impressive uh, moves that I've ever observed. And thankfully at close range got yeah, to observe you know, the, the fact that he had that wisdom. And I know that you're, you know, best-selling author. And uh, I mean, anybody listening, all, everyone listening, you know, you have to pick all up. All 19 listeners. No, there's lots more. They're just not subscribed. I always tell Stu, it doesn't mean they're not listening, right? If they're not subscribing, it means they're still. Well, our um, mutual friend, Scott Stratton and Allison Stratton, they do the Unpodcast. Hi, Scott. Now. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they're regular watchers. They tell me that. Scott says he listens. He doesn't watch. He's like, I can't look at your face, but I can listen. <laughs> and he's got a good point. Um, but he always says they only have seven <laughs> listeners. So we have 19. So we have 12 more than Scott and Allison. Everybody listening, they need to pick up Tech Humanist and all your books. They're amazing. Well, I, I, I haven't read them all, obviously, but I'm, I'm working my way through them. But my, my last question before I hand it over to Stu to wrap things up is, uh, if you are, what is it that you're reading? Who are you reading right now? Yeah. Um, that's one of the questions uh, I like to ask people because um, I will definitely run out and get it. <laughs> so who are you reading? You know, I read a lot. I have, I have, I'm such a bad example of some. I don't finish books very often because I'm too. always starting a new one. Mm -hmm. But the one I've been reading and I'm actually making my way toward the end of is, um, is On Speaking Well by Peggy Noonan, which politically, ideologically, like we are not aligned, but she is such a brilliant distiller of what the art of speaking and speech writing is. And she, she there's one thing I took away from that that people might enjoy if you do any kind of speaking. She points out that uh, that the the key element to being able to put forward a good speech is to understand what the policy is that you're advancing. And obviously mm. in politics, that's a more literal interpretation, but I have actually been using that point for myself as kind of a metaphor for what are you trying to say? What are you trying to get across? What's the policy? So that's like the, the one major takeaway I've, took, I've taken from that book and I've been, really enjoyed it. It's a very enjoyable read. Fantastic. Yeah, I recommend that one. Great, thanks. Um, so you're, uh, we're doing an event in April um, yeah. and it's called Epic and uh, it's for entrepreneurs, philanthropists, innovators and collaborators, which is the what EPIC stands for. It's an acronym. I don't like acronyms, but it worked. Um, and uh, you're coming. You're going to be there. You're going to share your wisdom, knowledge, your humor. 
uh, your stories with that group. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm 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 kind of curious, like, what would you what what's your like this group of of people? You know, uh, hopefully about a hundred entrepreneurs and and game changers. What's the message you'll share with them at that event? Well, the focus uh, that I'm moving my work toward more and more, and that I think is very relevant for every single one of the the groups that you mentioned in the acronym, is thinking about the future of meaningful human experiences. So as we kind of propel ourselves into this more tech-driven future, what does it look like to actually create human experiences that are more meaningful, and how do we make sure that we're scaling meaning, so to speak? So uh, that's that's the gist of it, I think. I'm excited. Um, but tune in for more. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to be able to spend time with you in Vancouver uh, at the Four Seasons Hotel. We'll have dinner. We'll yeah. share. We'll laugh. Um, it will be absolutely great. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Kate, thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts, which are deep inside of our bodies. Yes. Um, thank you so much for sharing time with these two Canadian guys. Um, all the way here in New York, we're here in beautiful... Kitchener, Ontario, Canada, which no one really knows about in New York. They wouldn't have no need to. Although I will tell you, Kitchener, Ontario is the head office of Google Canada. Oh, uh, is it? And they have a massive Google uh, community here. Huge. They just built it. Gajillion dollar building. They employ 13,000 people here or something like that. It's big Google here in Kitchener. Very cool. I, I just spoke at Google uh, two weeks ago. So yeah. That's, so that's awesome. There are operations in Canada right here, like literally five minutes from our office. <laughs> um, but anyway, thank you, Kate. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. And Thanks we'll talk for having soon. Me on. Bye. That was uh, an epic interview. I keep saying epic, and we're going to talk about epic in a second. But um, I mean, what was your takeaway from that half an hour with Kate? Other than she is one of the smartest uh, people on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, you know, I really love the um, the find your purpose, right? Mm-hmm. I really love how she, you know, it's an amazing book, Tech Humanist. I know we both read it, um, but like. You know, finding your purpose is is just something that really transcends. It doesn't matter if you're, a, you know, a technologist, if you're a futurist, if you're, you know, what type of entrepreneur yeah. you are. Finding your purpose and and it really gave me a lot of like, ah, oh, it's nice to know that because I mean, she knows. I mean, that's a person who knows, right? She yeah. just knows the trends. She knows where it's going. She is so smart and so, um, you know, and so with it when it comes to that kind of stuff. And you know, everything that we talked about was just so great. But finding your purpose, I really thought, you know, it really. It was like a, a great takeaway from that. How about you? The entrepreneurial thing I took out of it was two things. One, um, talking about Reed Hastings' um, ability to to um, pivot um, and move from the DVDs to um, streaming. Well, that war was yeah, going on. And with, doing that R&D yeah. and doing that. And the hero said that, you know, she said that was one of the coolest things to see him battling with 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 the DVD stuff with yeah, blockbuster. with blockbuster but at the same time developing new technology mm-hmm. and developing a new avenue for their business and the second thing was I was surprised because you always watch these shows like Dragon's Den or Shark's Tank or you read about these entrepreneurs about technology and you know so much is about and she talked about um, uh, automation of things you know automating different different businesses and different fields whatever and I when I asked her about what the next big thing was I thought it, I didn't think it was going to be what she said, mm-hmm. but augmented reality. Yeah, and I think if you're an entrepreneur, that might be a really cool world to. Yeah, absolutely, augmented reality. Yeah. Like, like to yeah, like to, to, to play in. Like what what can you do? Like you have an iPhone, you have a, you have a, whatever. How do you get that augmented reality like into more? I don't. I didn't realize it was as big. And she thinks it's the next biggest thing. And she said she was impressed by two things, right? The so internet. Far, the internet was one. So yeah, yeah she's on point. Yeah, uh, and augmented reality. Augmented reality. So there you go. You can't even say it. So well, that's how big it is. It's such a augmented huge augmented reality. Yeah, I don't go. mean to be funny. Sorry, but it was like that's it's, okay. it's, it's like it's, I didn't I didn't know much about it. First time you've ever apologized. But anyway, yeah, for sure, man. I think that's uh, that's it's so great. It was such a great interview, eh, man. Like I just, yeah. um, you know, we. <laughs> I mean, we were just working on our craft as far as interviewing goes, I think. Yeah. And but she was just so, you know, and Mikey and Mikey and, and Portia did yeah. the technology. It worked seamlessly. Um, First one. We're excited. So Thank we're going to add. We're going to do a lot more interviews with some really cool yes. people who are doing some pretty amazing things. Um, I will say that we talked about briefly in uh, in the conversation about Epic. Yes. Um, and Epic is an event coming up this April in Vancouver, British Columbia, that we are hosting. Um, it is called. It's Epic, which stands for Entrepreneurs, Philanthropists innovators and collaborators and the idea is to bring the best speakers uh, with the best closed group 100 people um, on the planet and uh, we're going to uh, accept only people who are like-minded in terms of 
positive impact on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can come for four days and hear literally 15 of the best speakers in technology, in health, in branding. Um, I mean, the list is, we're going to have them all on the show over the course of the next uh, few months. Um, and if you're interested, and we'll put it right on the screen, and we'll put it in the show notes, uh, you go to theepiccommunity.com. It's going to be epic. Yeah. Yep. com, And, uh, and we will, um, you can sign up, you can, we can apply, uh, and then we, we potentially will send you an invitation yeah. uh, if you are, if you're able to go uh, and if you fit the criteria. Uh, but Kate's going to be there. Uh, I'm going to be there. Nick's going to be there. Um, and it's going to be, uh, not going to be learning from Nick and I, but other amazing people too. Yeah. So I'm, amazing. Looking, I'm looking forward to actually having a cup of coffee with her and talking more about everything because she had so much we did a half an hour and as and we said we could have done a couple hours oh, for sure three or yeah. four episodes anyway yeah Absolutely. so you want to remind everybody to yes yeah, so we just want to remind everyone to make sure you uh if you're listening on itunes and watching on youtube to subscribe and uh we'd love to hear your comments uh but yeah please subscribe we, we want to get as uh you know we, we want to hear from you out there so um yeah subscribe comment rate rate and then that way you'll know every every week when it comes out you'll get yeah. a you'll get a reminder turn your notifications on turn your notifications on and every week we'll uh we'll send new episodes out we promise and we'll try to be as you know authentically entrepreneurish as we can be and one other thing as we turn this off if you're listening on itunes uh, you might want to uh, 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 might want to like zip over to YouTube because only on YouTube after this we have a very brief discussion with Kate about what was behind her on her wall. Yes, and you're not going to want to miss that. I so mean, it's, it's not going to be on iTunes because no. you need to be able to visually see what she's talking about. Yeah. It'll just be on YouTube. So tune into YouTube. It's at the very end of the podcast. We'll just be a little add-on, um, and it was really interesting to hear her process of thinking her thought process and building out stuff and that's a great entrepreneurial stuff there so thanks nick for another great episode and don't forget to subscribe and like and comment and rate peace out um kate before you go i have to ask um i've been looking uh, at you on skype here uh and behind you uh, you have a whiteboard. Obviously, that's where you do all your creating and your writing and your thinking and your, your you know. Uh, but then behind, beside your whiteboard, you've got these, uh, these, these, these look like ladders or, or I don't know, like yeah. colorful. It's like, yeah. it's like a, almost like They're kid, my mind maps. Like I'm, I'm really big on diagrams and mind maps. That's it, like the, the way that I think uh, is, is through these maps. So um, I think you can see yeah. this one yeah. is my meaning mind map. So uh, that is the sort of state of my thinking on meaning and breaking that down into its component parts. And like, what? Let me see if I can read any of it. Uh, absurdity. Oh, so there's a, a link between meaning and absurdity. I feel there's a tension in the world between meaning and absurdity. Oh. So where there is a lack of meaning defined, it opens up a void into which absurdity can just flow. So we get absurd experiences like the Amazon Go thing we talked about because not enough meaning was defined. Uh, or like, for example, uh, justice uh, and an understanding of justice and, and the relationship of meaning to creating a, an, an understanding of fairness and justice. So the, there's just all these kind of component pieces that I've broken that into because I think in, in a way my life's work is about meaning and understanding it and really making it a useful framework for everyone, for humans, for business, you know, every, every way that I can make uh, meaning accessible as a framework. So I'm looking at it and is there... Is it the, the is it the farther you go out in the in the arms? Is that more? Is it like more clarity behind what you're writing? Uh, yeah, or it's just um, more broken down. Like uh, humanity uh, is here, and then embellished experiences, and then um, food and eating, and then foodie culinary culture. So this has led me into thinking about the the way that we use uh, cameras and take pictures of our food and the experience is different but the the meaning of that experience is kind of it's not it's not diminished or enhanced it's just changed we have a new way to appreciate food and and culture because we have our smartphones and we're constantly taking pictures of the food that we eat there's a study i quoted it in pixels in place my my last book that shows that um the people who people who tend to take pictures of their food tend to remember the meals that they documented that way Uh, The flip side of that is they tend to remember less about their surroundings when they were taking the pictures of their food. So they don't remember the um, atmosphere as well, or they don't remember the people that they were actually eating with quite as much. 
but it's a different emphasis. It's like focusing our attention in a different way. Uh, so the meaning of that experience is more, you know, kind of diverted in a different way. So uh, anyway, there's just a lot of, of really kind of interesting little nodes and nooks and crannies within all of that that, that has informed thinking in um, multiple books and articles and, and some of the work that I'm doing. And, and do you update it? Do you change yeah. it? Does it evolve? Yeah, yeah. I go in uh, while I'm working on a, a project. I may pull up the meaning mind map uh, alongside writing an article about meaning and kind of update things as I go. And then I'll, I'll pull this down and replace it. I have a tabloid printer, so I love having my nice big tabloid printouts of things and tape that up. And it, it's there to inform me as I'm working on my whiteboard. So this is this is like you know the the weird mind of. I love it. That's great. I love to see how you break that thought process down. And then over your right shoulder, you have a series of circles. Oh, yeah. So uh, this is the value of insights in expertise and observation. And the in earliest one, the inner side here is insights. And then there's meaning. Uh, so meaning making and pattern recognition and trend mapping is what's happening inside the, the sort of closed system. Uh, but you have data and place and marketing and trends, humanity, people, culture, and so on that are all happening as context all around that. And then... Um, decisions, goals, hope, adaptation, strategy, behavior, creativity, et cetera, is all happening around that. So um, this is kind of a, um, I think this is more specific to the way that I approach yeah. uh, my kind of consulting and advisory work and how I think about the way that I can break down meaning and insights into something that's actionable through data and technology and culture for companies in these particular actionable ways for them. Cool. Does that make sense? Perfect yeah, sense. It, does. <laughs> it makes sense in my head. Genius at work is what it is. Yeah. What's that? It's genius at work is what it is. <laughs> um, my, my husband likes to call it my beautiful mind wall. Yes. Yeah, I love it. I was, I was actually, I, well, two things. I thought you said initially it was your meeting map. Uh, uh. And that those were all the meetings you had to go to and you had to keep track of all your meetings. But oh. it was meaning. And I thought, why does she have no, a map it would be on meaning? It's way meetings? more complicated than that if I were trying But that. this is so great. This is so great. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Kate, I can't wait to just dive into more of this stuff with you soon. Yeah, yeah, me too. All right. It was great to talk with you guys. All right. Thanks, Kate. Peace out.